that powerful? Um, Caleb said earlier that nothing great happens without sacrifice, right? This country is just a pristine example of that. Just everything that this country embodies, freedom and opportunity happens because of sacrifice, oftentimes because of the ultimate sacrifice. So Memorial Day, we are just able to honor the patriotism, the commitment, and the ultimate sacrifice of our fallen soldiers who have made this country what it is. And it's something that we don't take lightly. Um, as we get started this morning, can we pray? Just start in prayer. Um, Lord, thank you for this morning, everything that you're doing here in this room, you are moving. Uh, as we talk about resetting this morning, uh, I would just ask that this is not just another day for us, that we don't go through today acting like we have everything under control, that we have everything figured out, that this is a morning of vulnerability for us. That we would just offer to you all the parts of our lives that we know that we need a reset, all the parts of our lives that we know are meant for something more. Would you speak clearly and speak boldly into our lives this morning? We trust you. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we had a phenomenon here in Orange County that happens every 15 years, according to the Almanac. It's called rain. Um, it's where water falls from the sky. It's super interesting. The rest of the country's got to deal with it. We don't. But if you've ever driven in rain, well, if you're in Orange County, you drive in rain, you probably put chains on your tires and go four miles an hour. But if you've ever driven in rain, you know, okay, not when it's pouring, not even when it's raining, but you know when it's spitting, you know what I'm talking about? Like we call it spitting, just like sporadic, tiny little raindrops. When you're driving in that, it's not worth it to really turn on the windshield wipers, you know? There's not like a setting slow enough for your situation. And so you just let the raindrops accumulate. It's not that big of a deal. You can see pretty well anyway. So you just drive, right? Then after maybe two minutes, a couple more raindrops have accumulated. Still doesn't warrant a windshield wipe at all. Maybe a little bit less visibility, but, you know, you just kind of... Find that Beth's visibility, shoulder lean. All right, a little blurry, but I got this. It's so gradual, you don't even notice it. Four more minutes goes by, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in this death panic. You don't even know how you got there, but you're like, I can't see anything. Like, I'm going to die. The lines are blurry. It's just total chaos. And you're like, oh my gosh, how did I even get here? And you do a big swipe. I've been working on that. That didn't go as well as I'd hoped. Swipe. Onomatopoeia is not my, not my skill. It doesn't matter. So you do a swipe, and then you kind of reset the windshield wiper, then you start over. Repeat steps one through six, right? So we're in this series called Reset, and I was thinking as I was driving two weeks ago, this is how a lot of us view the idea of reset in our lives, of resetting our lives, that we just, we go as long as we possibly can. We take this gradual beating from the world, right? We just get torn down and chewed up and spit out. We go as long as we can. It's so gradual, we don't even realize we can't see well. And then all of a sudden, we get to this point where we're like, how did I, I can't see anything. How did I get here? And it's just like this catastrophe. You have no clarity on who you are, no clarity on where you're going. And you're like, I gotta do something. I gotta reset something. And so, swipe, Right? You go to church or you do a, a camp or a conference or something. I got to re, reset myself. And I would just bet that a lot of us, even right now from this past year, um, from everything that we've screwed up and done 
everything that's been done to us, right, betrayal, everything that's been said to you, everything that's been said about you, I would just bet that a lot of us right now are operating with a very blurry windshield, We're just living our lives with a blurry windshield. We don't have a ton of clarity on who we are or where we're going, right? And the problem is, is that we make decisions with this blurry windshield. The problem is that we make day-to-day decisions or pivotal life decisions with this blurry windshield, and inevitably, every time that you make a decision with a blurry windshield, it always ends in catastrophe, and you always end up saying, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? You ever had that moment? There is nothing worse than that moment. You know, the, what was I thinking? Kristen and I were on a date in Florida, and we went to this all-you-can-eat sushi and hibachi place. Every bit as good as it sounds. We didn't eat for 17 days beforehand, right? We're just like, we're going to put this place out of business. I'm going to eat so much sushi, it's going to be illegal. So we show up at this place, and we're just so ready. And then they give us this menu. You know the menu that has pictures on it? which is even worse because everything looks delicious. So I was like, you order, and they just bring you as much as you want. This place is heaven. So I'm like, give me one through eight. Give me three of number nine. Just, you just start bringing it out, right? So people are just wearing backpacks of sushi and just dumping them out on our table. It's just obscene and delicious all at the same time. Um, all of a sudden, we hear like this, this hush comes over the restaurant. We hear this little tapping from the back. Chris and I are like, what the heck? the heck is that? All of a sudden, this tiny little Asian lady emerges, (laughs) right? Wrinklies all get out, like almost like Yoda, little Asian Yoda. (laughs) And I just remember, you could just smell the the reverence in the room, right? Everybody's like, oh, this this is Asian Yoda. I'm pretty sure the wait staff, like they kneel before. It's like Russell Crowe in The Gladiator, like going into the Coliseum, you know? So she makes her way over to our table, tapping the whole way. She gets over and she goes, everything you don't pay for, or everything you don't eat, you pay for. And we're like, oh no, we're looking at easily seven sushi rolls on our table. And we got this huge thing of shrimp fried rice coming on the way. And Chris and I are both like, our kids are not going to college. Like, what? Oh, no. Like, what were, we, what were we thinking? By the way, here's how we got out of the situation. I'm not proud of this, okay? This is not my shining moment in life. But uh, Chris and I took turns taking handfuls of sushi to the bathroom and flushing them down the toilet. <laughs> All right, not, am I proud of that? No. Am I impressed with our ingenuity and courage? Maybe, but I'm not proud of it. Right? But we have these moments of what was I thinking? What the heck was I thinking? And it's okay to have a what was I thinking moment in recon sushi missions, right? But you don't want to have a oh, what was I thinking moment when it comes to marriage. Some of us have like horrible, dramatic, what was I thinking moments when it comes to our marriage or marriages or your relationship with your kids, right? You don't want to have a what was I thinking moment. Well, your job, has anybody ever made a compromise in your job and you're just saying, what was I thinking? Or students in here, right? With your education, you should have been studying, but you went out instead and you failed out and you said, what was I thinking? Or they said, zero down, no payments for 36 months. (laughs) Now you're swimming in debt and you're saying, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? In a, in a world of 
unavoidable pain. We don't want to voluntarily add more pain to our lives. We don't want to live a life where we're constantly saying, what was I thinking? Now this question, what was I thinking, it's not a bad question. Actually, it's a great question. The problem isn't the question, what was I thinking? The problem is, is that we never answer it. We never answer the question, right? We just have the experience, we have the catastrophe, and we assume, because we've been through the experience, we assume a couple things so we don't answer. First thing we assume, we assume that experience makes us wiser. Is that true? No. Experience makes you older. Experience makes you angrier, makes you poorer, makes you more tired. Experience doesn't make you wiser. Now, evaluated experience makes you wiser. Examined experience, experience that you learn from makes you wiser. But just experience doesn't make you wiser. But you assume that it does, and I've been through this catastrophe, and so experience makes me wiser, so you don't ask that question, what was I thinking? The second thing that we assume, while we don't answer, what was I thinking? We assume, because I know better, I'll do better. Anybody who has kids or has ever talked to a teenager knows that's not true. Every single week when I'm with my students, I'm saying, don't, don't go to it. I'm just telling you, don't go. Don't do X, Y, and Z. And what do they always say? I know, I know, I know. Just because you know better doesn't mean that you'll do better. And I'm not just picking on teenagers. I would bet that all of us right now have an area of our lives where we know better, but we're not doing better, Right? And so nothing really changes. Things stay the same. Your pattern repeats. Your windshield remains blurry. And it's going to lead us, therefore, into two truths that we're going to dissect this morning. Two truths that we're going to look at that are very important. Number one, truth number one, if we think the way we used to think, we'll do the things we used to do. If we think the way we used to think, we'll do the things that we used to do, right? You've heard nothing changes if nothing changes. Truth number two, God wants our next time to be better than our last time. God believes that your next time can be better than your last time. Now, God is all about resetting our thinking. If you look at the top of your bulletin, the the title of today's sermon is Reset Your Thinking. That's what God is into. He's into resetting your thinking. God is not into behavior modification. Okay, that's not his gig. It's not shock collar treatment, let me change your actions. That's not, he resets your thinking because our decisions lead to outcomes, right? Very, very simple. The things that we do, our decisions, uh, it leads to consequences, good or bad. But what we seldom realize, what we seldom think, is that our thinking, our attitudes, our beliefs lead to our decisions, which leads to outcomes, leads to our outcomes. So God knows if he resets our thinking, our decisions follow, and our next time can be better than our last time. Today we're going to look at a guy who is in a major need of a reset. As a matter of fact, early in Paul's life, um, Paul was responsible for throwing dozens and hundreds and thousands of Christians in jail and actually having them put to death. Paul's responsible for killing Christians. And it's one of the most dramatic transformations in all of Scripture that this guy, Paul, who goes from killing Christians, throwing them in jail, to writing the bulk of the New Testament. 
We're, I mean, unbelievable transformation. So we get to learn today from this unique perspective from Paul, this guy who has had the reset button pushed in his life, who God has reset his thinking. Okay, so we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to put it up also. Um, now, Romans, it's, it's Paul's letter to the people in Rome who are following Jesus at the time. And you know from history that if you were a Jesus follower in first century Rome, things were not safe for you, okay? So this is Paul's letter to the Romans, to people following Jesus in the first century in Rome. That's what Romans is. So Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, we're going to break this down. We're going to go bit by bit. Uh, it starts out, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So who is this written to? That's right. This is written to Christians. This is written to, to people following Jesus. So if that's not you this morning, if you came with a friend, if you got invited here, you're off the hook. Kick back, chill. It, things are good. On your way home, you can elbow the person that brought you and be like, why the heck doesn't your life look like this? But you're off the hook, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, there's so much packed into this. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. Now, this is chapter 12. At the beginning of Romans, essentially, it is Paul outlining what God has done for us, outlining God's mercy. And I'm just telling you, we could hear this every day of our lives, and it wouldn't be wasted breath. He says that God demonstrates his love for us because we have gone our own way. There's a word sin, and sin just means that we have this inward independence towards God. And we have actions that are independent from God. We have thoughts that are independent from God. And we've done our own thing. We've gone our own way. And because of that, we've created this separation between us and God. There's a gap. There's a disconnect. There's a separation but God loves us too much. We're his children. He created us to have a relationship with us. And so he creates a way for that gap to be bridged. He sends his son, Jesus, here to earth. And Jesus is born as a baby, lives a perfect life. And then when he's grown, he is captured, he's falsely accused, and he is put to death for us. It says that when Jesus was put to death on the cross, that he took all the punishment of our sins. Everything that we'll ever do, have done, will do, everything was taken uh, on to Jesus at that moment, and he actually said, it is finished. And when he died, when it is finished, when he paid for, here's what is declared, here's now what is true and possible for you. It says that here's what's offered. All you have to say is, God, forgive me, God, it's, it's no longer me. It's no longer my life. I don't want to be independent. You be the Lord of my life. And when that happens, this is now it's true. Paul writes in Romans, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your sins, that separation, that gap, it is no longer held against you. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture that says, your sins are as far from you as the east is from the west. They're not counted against you. Um, when I was in college, I was going to church, and um, there was a young man in church that made a profound impact on me. Um, if I could choose to worship with anybody in the entire world uh, for eternity, I would choose this young man. His name was Roger, and Roger had cerebral palsy, confined to a wheelchair, 
And uh, every single Sunday, Roger would come to church and Roger would be screaming the words to the worship songs. I'd sit next to him and it doesn't matter if the band was soft or loud. Um, here's a young man who the world considers to have nothing and he is screaming adoration to his father. And I would just be bawling. One Sunday, Roger asked the pastor if he can get up on stage and, and say something to the audience. And the pastor says, of course, Roger, the stage is yours. And so he gets up and takes him a while to stammer through this, but I will never, ever forget what he says. Takes him a while and he goes, when the world looks at me, this is what they see. When God looks at me, he sees perfection. He sees perfection. I don't know where you are in your journey today, but you have to know that God's grace and God's mercy are for you. That Jesus died for you. That God loves you so much and he just wants to say, come home. Come home. Your sins are not counted against you. Your sins are as far from you as the east is from the west. It's in light of this, guys, that Paul writes this. When he says, therefore, it is in response to God's mercy. It is a response to the fact that God has forgiven us. And so it's not obligation. It's not rules. It goes on, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what is now true about you, in view of what God did for you, in view of Jesus' death, in view of that, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When he says your body, he's just talking about your whole life, right? Your attitudes, your actions, your passions, your desires, everything as a living sacrifice, not because you have to, not because it's a rule. It's in response to what Jesus has done. It's his mercy. He died for you. And so our life is a response. It's an ongoing sacrifice. We wake up every morning and we say, I want your will to be my will. I want your way to be my way. I want your thoughts to be my thoughts. You are God. I am not. I trust you says, this is your true and proper worship. You ever wondered what worship was? This is worship. Worship is a life's response to what Jesus has done. Now, when we sing here, it's a manifestation of our response in song, right? But our lives need to declare what we sing about here on Sunday. Our life is our worship. We respond to the goodness of God. Verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now here's a question. When do people change? What makes a person change, right? When are people willing to change? People are willing to change when the pain associated with the status quo is greater than the pain associated with the change right? People change when the pain associated with not doing anything, staying the same, when the tragedy of that is greater than the pain and the tragedy of the risks of change. In my opinion, this is the brilliance and the courage of Caleb, our lead pastor. 
And so he says, the tragedy, the heartbreak of staying here in this theater and knowing that there are lives that aren't being reached, the tragedy of that is far greater than any risk we would ever incur going after a new building. Now what Paul's saying here is he wants us to get that there is a tragedy to conforming. There's a tragedy to conforming. Conforming, you don't do anything to conform. You don't have to try to conform. In fact, Caleb has said before, conforming is very simply lifting our feet and letting the current of society move us. You don't have to try to conform. And we think, not that big of a deal, okay? Maybe our mindsets are altered. And Paul says, no, this is a crisis. This is a tragedy because Jesus died so that you could have freedom. Jesus died so that you could be identified as forgiven. Jesus died so that your life could have purpose, so that you could step into the role that God has. That's why Jesus died. It is a tragedy not to do anything. It's a tragedy to conform. So it's a charge for purpose. It's a charge for transformed, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, typically, when we say this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, we kind of fall into two categories, right? We'll go one, one of two ways. Half of us, it's either resolve or regret, right? Half of us are the resolve, and we say, you're right. It's transformation time. Let's do this. I gotta be trans- give me the five steps. Just give me the five steps. I'll be transformed by midnight tonight, right? Transform the stink off myself. And then the other half is the regret, and we say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm worthless. I'm pathetic. I'm just gonna apologize my way to greatness, right? And both are nightmares because both say that it's about us. That it's about us. The scripture says, be transformed. Be transformed. This is an act of God in your life that we have the opportunity to either join in or to resist. I actually heard a podcast earlier this week and the pastor said this, thought it was interesting. He said, you are either renewing your mind or you are at war with God. Isn't that interesting? You are either renewing your mind or you are at war with God. His point was this. Renewing your mind means to recognize what God says is true. Renewing your mind means to recognize what God says is true. When we conform to what this insecure advertising world says about us, when we conform to that, we are in direct opposition to what God declares to be true about us. So how is it that God transforms our mind? If God transforms our mind, it's not up to us, how does that happen? The same author, Paul, number of different books in the New, in the New Testament, actually it's pretty much a theme in the New Testament, he says this, we're going to bring up Ephesians 4, through 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay? Put off and put on. Now again, don't go to resolve and regret. This is not you. This is God putting off and God putting on. So what does that look like? Anybody here ever cleaned a couch, like deep cleaned a couch? We have this nightmare of a couch in our house, and it's like this soft fabric cream couch. 
It's the dumbest decision we've ever made because we just have college traffic and a two-year-old is just horrible. So this thing looks like a nightmare after two weeks. So every year, two years, I got to deep clean this couch and it is every bit as horrible as you would think. I got my little, uh, my little foam, professional foam, got my soap, my washcloth, and then I've got this firm bristled brush. And I am sitting there as hard, I'm just cramping head to toe as hard as I can, pressing as hard as I can for 15 minutes, and I've got a section about that big done. I've got this huge U couch. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Here's what God's saying. He's going to use things in your life to dig in, to scrub out, to strip away, to peel off your old way of thinking. Right? Your greed, your selfishness, your pride. You think that might be a little painful? You think that might be a little painful? Darn right it's painful, right? We have dirt and we have conformed thinking that has rooted itself into our lives. God is going to have to strip it away and it'll be painful. But here's the beauty. When we offer that to him, when we allow him to do that, and he, ta- he strips away the old, even though it's painful. What he puts on is this new, profound, divine sense of purpose. This divine sense of destiny. We have this clarity. This is what you were created to do. And he begins to put on the beauty of his character. We start to transform to look more like him. His goodness, his kindness, his patience, his peace, his faithfulness. We, we begin to look like him. And because of that, the end of Romans 12, 2 says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So with your new realization of purpose, now I realize what I've been created to do. I understand my sense of destiny. My windshield is clear, and I have more clarity with how I fit in to God's perfect will. Now, before we say, sounds good, renewing of your mind, let's do this thing, break, God's going to renew my mind, I want to make sure we understand one truth, and I'm going to have you guys repeat this with me. The truth is, it takes time to renew my mind. Say that with me. It takes time to renew my mind. Yeah. Even if God does an instantaneous miracle in your life, even if God does this instantaneous healing in your life, it still takes time to renew your mind because you have these deep-rooted beliefs and lies that extend down and are woven into the fabric of your life, and it takes time for God to strip that away. This terrifies me. This point terrifies me. It it scares me to death to think that it takes time to renew my mind. Here's why. Because that means, if it takes time to renew my mind, that means that I'm going to have to make moves before I'm fully renewed. I'm going to have to make moves before I'm fully renewed. That scares me to death. Because those lies are just staring at me. And I don't want to move because I don't want to be faced with the lies that have kept me in captivity my entire life. I don't want to make a move and face these these fears and these lies that have been told about me. And so I just want to stay in one place. God, just transform me here. Once I'm fully transformed, I'll go out and dominate. But right now, I just want to stay here because I don't want to face them. You ever been afraid to move because of lies? I wrote down a couple 
Tell me if you resonate with these. You just heard this hundreds of times a week. There's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm less than others. I'm not attractive. I'm so bad, I, I, I can't be forgiven. I need to be perfect to be loved. And so we stay in one place because we're so afraid of coming face to face with these fears, with these lies. And listen, all of that that I just read, all of that crap that you hear every single week, all that stuff that clouds your windshield are lies made up by the enemy to keep you right where you are. Does that not make you mad? The enemy is making up things about you and feeding you these lies so that you won't make a move. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come to renew your mind. I come to transform you. I come that they may have life and have it to the full. Look, you are going to screw up. You will revert back to old mindsets, right? But God gives us grace to move forward and chase after our purpose while he transforms us. Anybody here ever played Super Mario Brothers? The original on original Nintendo? Okay. Remember when you got the star, the invincibility star? Do, 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 do. All right, you know what I'm talking about? All right. When you got the star, did you just sit there and wait for a mushroom to bump into you and die? Or to, no, heck no. You hauled tush, right? You went as, as far as you could because you knew you couldn't fail. God's grace and mercy they are there to allow us to run after our purpose with confidence, knowing that God's forgiveness is what defines us. This is what God says to be true about you. Every morning when you get up, this is what you renew your mind to. There's nothing wrong with me. I am created in God's image, and he said, it is good, renew your mind to that. I am loved by God, and love has nothing to do with perfection. Renew your mind to that. Jesus died so I can be forgiven, and my sins are as far from me as the east is from the west. This is what God declares about you. Renew your mind to that. I am God's masterpiece. I am created for good works. And we allow God to strip away, sometimes painfully, these lies that are woven and embedded in our lives. And he renews us with these truths as he transforms us. Because he wants our next time to be better than our last time. Now one thing you didn't hear from this passage, that we all just assume God is dying to say to us. You didn't hear, hey, you know that last time? Shame for that last time. You know that last time? Guilt for that last time, that last time, that last time, that last time. God doesn't talk to us about our last. You know what he says about our last time, basically? Confess it. Admit it. There's always forgiveness. I'm worried about the next time. I'm worried about the next time. I know the pain of the last time. I want next time to be better. You are my children. I want it to be better. So surrender your lives to me. Let me change the way that you think. Let me strip off the old, even though it's painful, so I can put on this divine sense of purpose and destiny, and you can walk in the life that I've created you to live. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for these words. Um, Father, we are beat down. We are we're pushed around by the lies that the enemy feeds us, by what the world tells us. And we are very, very tired. We are very tired. Because of what Jesus did, because of his death on the cross, you declare that we are perfect and righteous in your sight. You just tell us we can come home, that we can renew our minds to what you say is true about us. Father, give us courage every morning to wake up and to fight against this world. Not to lift our feet to conform, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to recognize what you say is true about us. We thank you so much for your love and your consistent persistence after us.